reason why archaeologists have neglected fishing, they really haven't. It's just extremely difficult to study because on the one hand there's the issue of preservation. As you know, fish bones are small and delicate. And then secondly, the identification of them is extremely difficult unless you have comparative collections of modern fish. And it's only in recent years that we've developed techniques for recovering the fish using wet sifting and then have collected, made the collections so that you can do the comparative examination of them. I was in Brisbane, Australia about a year ago and saw the most marvelous collection of modern fish bones which enable you to really identify lagoon fish in the Pacific. It's very exciting. The Calusa people of southern Florida are one of the almost neglected people of ancient North America. They lived in coastal southern Florida and they lived in an environment which was shallow water. So they lived almost entirely off the ocean. They were expert shallow water fishers. They really were good uh, with nets and with casting and hook and line. But their main subsistence or one of their main subsistences was shellfish especially a large form of clam. And they ate these by the thousand. They even traded the meat of them. And they built large mounds upon which they built temples. So they used both the shells and the flesh of the mollusks as a staple. They probably were some of the most shellfish dependent people ever to have lived. Uh, and were a very quite complex society with powerful chiefs and so on. And they resisted Europeans when they came too. How, how, what, how far back do they go? What? They go back, we don't really know, but some form of shellfish collection in that area probably goes back several thousand years. And we have good documentation for the last 1500. So it's been a while. Fish become a commodity in a way that big game don't. If you are tracking game, you tend to follow herds and observe them. And you may even know some of the animals by sight. But if you're looking at fish, they're invisible most of the time. And they often are in large numbers. And it's very rare that anything but an exceptional fish would have an identity. And if you catch fish, you eat them. And there came a point in history where large numbers of fish were caught as rations for workers working on huge public projects. And the classic example of this of 2600 BC is the pyramids of Giza, where they maintained an enormous pyramid town and in that are facilities for drying fish. The fish themselves were caught in shallow water by fishermen and we have some of the contracts. They had to deliver a certain number a day or a week and these were turned into rations. Fish were an anonymous commodity like bread and this has been true ever since. With every city there have been markets with fish. With the cod trade of the North Atlantic it was a commodity sold by the pound or by the kilo. So this really was when fish became a commodity. Cod are a fascinating fish. They became an important staple in medieval Europe for three reasons. One, the flesh of a cod is white and relatively dry, unlike, for example, the herring, which has oily flesh. This makes them easy 
to dry in the cold Arctic sun because one of the places where they were dried in enormous numbers was the Lofoten Islands in northern Norway, which is the most gorgeous place if you have a chance to go there. And the second reason was, and they, that made them very simple, very easy because they were light, they could be kept for up to a year or more, and they could be stowed in limited space, which made them, on the one hand, a form of what you might call fish jerky, which was eaten by Norse voyagers when they crossed the Atlantic, which is something people don't know, but in fact fish were enormously important as a maritime fish, and it was no coincidence that they became a ration for navies and armies. And the trade in what was called stockfish was absolutely enormous, and it extended from the Mediterranean up into the northern Europe. Then there's the other thing which drove it, which probably has been rather overdrawn, but it was very important early on, was the Christian or the Catholic doctrine that you ate fish on Fridays and Holy Days, which were days when one atoned for Christ's suffering on the cross. <coughs> and when I tell you that in the year 1215, the over half the days of the year were holy days. You can understand that demand for fish was enormous. The herring did not keep well. The cod did. So cod became one of the staples, not only for monasteries and the devout, but also, also for the poor. So they were a very, very important fish and are still important today. You eat salt cod in Portugal. It's a really medieval recipe. And in Norway, there are recipes which start by saying, pound the salted fish for 20 minutes and go from there. So it's a major industry even today. The fishing crisis we have today has multiple causes. One of the causes is changing fishing technology, particularly the development of trawls, which trawl the bottom. Then they put beams in them, which kept the openings open. And those literally stripped the seabed. And in the 19th century, this started in Europe, there were considerable outcry by fishermen how the fisheries have been destroyed. But they said, ah, but look at the yields. But they didn't realize it was an issue of long-term yield. And this technology spread rapidly. The second major contribution was the development of fossil fuels. This led to steam trawlers and ultimately to diesel trawlers, which can stay offshore for weeks, even months, on end, especially if they have factory ships to process and freeze the fish. And the other technology that was important, of course, was freezers and refrigeration. But then, if you reflect that a sailing trawler in Victorian times did not fish when the wind got above 25 miles an hour, you can understand the advantage. Then there's the other factor, which is the absolutely insatiable growth in global population. And in Asia, where fish are enormously important in the diet, you have, for example, the trade in tuna, the great tuna auctions of Tokyo and so on. And the demand is rapidly exceeding supply. And unless we come up with enormous marine reservoirs, which are pleased, and we take up aquaculture, we have problems, serious problems. And the possibility to be a fishless ocean is more than just 
a speculation. It could happen. I am, like you, a modern human, homo sapiens. We are the wise people, allegedly. We think, we plan ahead, we innovate, and we are infinitely ingenious. And over three million years, we've developed answers to problems like overhunting, overfishing, and so on, which have been ingenious, but occasionally the price in human lives has been enormous. We have never, ever faced crises or challenges as big as those of humanly caused climate change. And don't tell me it isn't humanly caused. That's back in the 19th century that you talked like that. You've got the challenge of insatiable demand and you've got the challenge of people who will not take any notice because of money. I am optimistic in the long run because we'll have to be, but the price is going to be enormous.